This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, Brokers Roundtable Edition. We're going to be shaking things up a little bit today. Jesse and Chad are not available to join us. So right now, it's just me and Adam. And uh, my buddy, Nate, um, who some of y'all might know from the Tech Nest Podcast, which uh, exclusively covers technology in the commercial real estate space, which is very apt for today's conversation, might actually be joining us uh, here in a minute. If he does, I will bring him in. But as I said, today we're going to be diving into the impact of technology on commercial real estate. For the last 30 years, 40 years, it feels like commercial real estate has not changed, right? You still got a lot of, you know, older white men making cold calls from their office or, or you know, taking clients out for martinis over golf. And uh, in the last five to 10 years, that has changed significantly. The amount of technology that's coming into the space is pretty exciting. So we're going to be covering what prop tech is, property technology, virtual and augmented reality automation and efficiency through commercial real estate technology and so much more. Adam, what's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Great to, great to see your beautiful face as always. Thank you for, yeah, man. Thank you for having me on again. And I uh, always love catching up. Yeah. How's, uh, how's everything going in Carolina? Man, Carolinas are still booming. We haven't gotten the, the recession memo yet. I mean, we're pretty lucky to be, you know, between Charlotte and Raleigh. Uh, a lot of people want to be here. And I mean, Raleigh, you have the kind of the North Hills and all the suburbs that are blowing up. Charlotte, you've got kind of our, our killer urban neighborhoods. And obviously, South End is the is just the hottest neighborhood in a couple of states. So, so it's a great, good place to be doing real estate for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. All right, Nate. Nate is here. We're going to load him in. Nate, what's going on, dude? Man, you guys are making me feel <laughs> very, very weak on the beard. I got like five days and you guys got like five years each. Dude, it has been a while since I've seen Nate, and Nate, you've really grown the beard, man. I love it. I'm just trying to assimilate into my environment. <laughs> That's true. He's been doing a whole bunch of trail running here recently. Makes Stay sense. Out you got, the woods. It's, yep. Like I feel like the beard is just it's required. It's like required reading, right? You just gotta have it. <laughs> it's true. It's I true. think yeah. it's solid. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, Nate. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Uh, catch everybody up on on who you are, and I was I was I introduced you through the TechNest podcast, so feel free to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my name is Nate Smoyer. Uh, I've been in uh, been a marketing guy for I don't even know how many years now, like fifteen or eighteen or something like that. Uh, but I've been exclusive in the, the prop tech scene about six years now. Uh, I have, as you mentioned, my passion project TechNest podcast where I interview founders, investors, leaders uh, that at the intersection of real estate and technology as to see how they're working to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. And uh, most recently, I was at an InsurTech startup. I left uh, there about two months ago and been working on some of my own projects, did a little bit of exploration research in different spaces. Uh, hospitality of, of all of them, actually, has been a, a top of mind. For me but i got i got my fingers in a whole bunch of different pots if you will yeah that'll be cool well, this will make for a fun discussion having kind of that perspective as well jesse just joined us jesse i, I just had nate introduce himself he's with the 
Uh, TechNest Podcast has a background in commercial real estate technology, and since Chad couldn't make it today, I figured we'd fill his seat and uh, have a have a different perspective as we dive into commercial real estate tech. Before we dive into the overall atmosphere of commercial real estate technology, let's start off in the world of prop tech. Uh, Nate, could you kind of kick us off and just define what prop tech is, and then I'm going to kick it over to Jesse to see you know how you guys are implementing that kind of in your space, and then we'll go to Adam. I thought you were going to ask me to define it, and I have um, I've summarized it this way in the past. I have no clue, um, <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you why. You know, I, I hear the terms thrown around: tech enabled, tech enabled service business, tech enabled real estate company. And I don't really know what that means, right? Your average real estate agent uses they have a website. It's got an IDX feed. They've got uh, you know digital signatures going back and forth. Right, there's some sort of like uh, uh, engine that gives uh, an automated valuation of properties, right? That they won't use because they won't use Zillow's, right? Even the comparative market analysis, they plug in a few inputs, it pulls back properties from the MLS, and it spits back up a whole report, and it's printed out in ten pages. And they did no work to put together. Is, is that is that prop tech? Is that is that tech enabled, or is that just business as usual? That's kind of how I started asking you know, some questions before I get into a definition. I look at it as, you know, look, it's property technology. It's the intersection of real estate and leveraging technology, uh, mostly digital. I wouldn't call like every once in a while there's a new hammer that's invented. And certainly I would describe that as technology, but that's not what we mean when we say that. We really mean digital. What's the digital applications here? So companies like Smart Roof, they're, they're leveraging, they've got a whole like army of drone operators where they do like high def photographs of a roof and immediately spits it back into their AI modeling that detects any damages and needs for repair. It automates the work order, the telehealth communication with the, the consumer is already set. So there's a one day turnaround on roof inspection to do you want your roof replaced, right? That's what I think about when we're talking uh, prop tech, not necessarily CRMs and websites and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I would think too. And it's, and it's funny that you broke it down in that way for you know, people in real estate saying that they're tech enabled and stuff. I mean, it really just goes back to my point earlier of saying commercial real estate has been stuck in the 1980s for the last 40 years. I mean, for you to even say you're tech enabled is it's like so 10 years ago <laughs> for you to be yeah, saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally just got off the phone with um, Donald David Hoff. You know, he, he's co-founder CEO of Reba, and uh, Donald was he was the guy that helped build the first revenue management for multifamily like 22 years ago. So when we think about like data and how it impacts like day-to-day operations, I mean, some of the stuff isn't necessarily new in concept, but how we're doing and how we're going about it, I think that's what's dramatically improved. Yeah. Jesse, what are you seeing in the office world? Um, so I, I think that First of all, I'd say that uh, definition is probably probably one that I'd be charitable to. I feel that you know your standard definition of any time uh, you have uh, digital uh, software or anything, any new technology that's aiding in the completion of transactions or ongoing management of real estate or commercial real estate, you know, I feel like that de- definition is almost so broad that it's it would just encompass so many things. Um, in the office side, you know, like you said, I think we're pretty. Uh, you know, it's taken a while for us to get on with a lot of technologies that the residential world has adopted. Uh, you know, the, if you went into a, uh, you pulled an office of brokers that deal with, with whether it's industrial office or, or retail, 
um, stuff like DTS, Matterport, uh, those type of technologies probably would throw, be thrown around as prop tech. Um, you dig a little deeper, maybe stuff like liquid space that are, has the ability to, you know, look at scheduling and having somebody to lease space and, and fill gaps in the same way Airbnb did. Um, but yeah, I think the, the short answer is uh, we're seeing technology slowly get adopted on the commercial real estate side, but it's not at the same pace uh, that we see on the residential side. So it's, um, yeah, that's, that's probably where I'd leave it right now. Yeah, we're probably five years behind, 10 years behind on the residential side. I mean, smart homes became a thing a long time ago, and we're, we're kind of just now starting to see that. I mean, for the longest time, most commercial landlords thought, you know, having, having a nest, you know, HVAC, uh, you know, it, it, a pad would, yeah, that makes my building prop tech enabled. Right. Uh, which is which is just so funny. Um, you know, I know the the retail world is obviously vastly different from office and especially because of the data analytics that they had to go into with all of these different tenants. So, Adam, what what is what does prop tech look like in the world of retail real estate? You know, I'd rather talk about. So I'm going to answer your question directly, but, but yeah. in a specific way. So the the prop tech that I think is fairly interesting, I think is kind of a stopgap to what in maybe five years, somebody that's going to make a bazillion dollars is going to figure out. So I do a lot of kind of high level, high street shopping center. Uh, and it's all about kind of transactions, right? How, how good can I make my mousetrap that you can spend, you know, an extra 30 minutes on site and spend an extra 10 bucks in those four walls, right? Those are really, really big metrics in my world. And that's all well and good because we get sales reporting for all of our tenants, but there's a massive, massive gap now that has been produced by technology. And that is kind of the internet of things and omni-channel and, you know, try on in store and then buy online and, uh, and, you know, go and touch it and feel it. And then, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't ready to buy it today, but I got on their mailing list and now they sent me a 20% off coupon and I buy it. There's this gap that has been created with, you know, maybe my store, maybe my Yeti store isn't really there to sell you a tumbler or a cooler, right? It's a billboard for this, for this brand ecosystem mm. I want to get people excited about. Like the Canadian goose stores, right? You go in there and they turn them down to, to you know, they have an ice room that's, that's freaking zero degrees, right? These these things are, are built to kind of get a brand across. So I think that the prop tech that is going to be most interesting is probably something that we haven't seen yet. It's something that's going to kind of tie all those different uh, different things together and unless there's something, I, I hope somebody pops in the comments and be like, Adam, you I, idiot, this exists. Here's the website. Uh, I, the actually, closest... I, I don't know if this is the, the example you're talking about, but anthropology. Anthropology so, is a perfect example. They're beautiful. The way people don't understand how anthropology works. I mean, this is, you want to talk about a business that. I do. Man- it's, there's something based, in my port from anthropology e-com. right now. I promise you. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. So. When, when when the people come in to work at Anthropology at the physical store, the first thing they do in the morning is they process the e-com. They're shipping out the e-com right from the retail location. Then when the That's doors right. open, they're processing returns from the e-com. Or they could have been in purchase, you know, in store purchases, but it doesn't doesn't matter. So they have a network of all these stores, and all of them are finely curated stores, right? Some of them are like different here, there, and there, but they have the same SKUs, they have the same systems, and 
So every little store functions as a distribution center. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful how it functions and what exactly what you're talking about. I think it's like the obvious model. It's not anything new that they've been doing it. I don't understand why it's not more, more commonplace. Yeah, that's what Best Buy did. I mean, that's what pulled them out of bankruptcy. And I think that there's a lot of people that are doing it. I think I was looking at it from strictly the landlord side of the equation, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm Mr. Landlord. I want my 6% percentage rent over your sales. But I don't think I'm capturing that because of the 25% of the people that walked in, saw that amazing blouse from Anthro, but then went home, went on their Instagram and got a coupon and then bought it off Instagram, even though they saw it in the store. Mm. So I think that the closest tech that is blowing people's minds right now and really getting mark, market share is a company called Placer AI. And I was looking online while you guys were talking just to get like a, like a really good blurb that I could use to describe it. It's basically a tracking system that shows heat maps of where people flow on your property, where are they coming from, uh, and, it, and it's a, an amazing tool that I'd never heard of three years ago. And now it is like commonplace vernacular in my world. So I think that they're the biggest difference maker right now. But as I kind of let in, I think they are the the best next generation. But I don't think that anybody's figured out a way to kind of link in that full omni-channel world. Uh, and maybe it has to, maybe it's going to have to be like a Simon Properties or a Brookfield, some huge national behemoth, federal, somebody that's like just massive that says like, hey, I will put you at the front door of Hudson Yards, but you've got to open the hood and show me where your sales are coming from and how many people walked into Hudson Yards, but then went home and bought it there because I want that extra freaking paper off of that percentage rent. So I, I haven't heard of anybody that's done that yet. But I hear that concept coming up a lot that is like, wait a minute, you're get, we're building you this incredible billboard and we're only getting paid on what people are spending in the store, not because they saw your billboard, then went home and, and, and spent money. So uh, kind of a weird retail nerd thing. Playing, playing devil's advocate on that, though, if I was the tenant, I would say, hell no, that has nothing to do with you. Keep your hands out of my online business. I mean what's what is the argument for the landlord and then because i mean i can clearly see the argument against it but what is the argument for the landlord on that front uh, i mean we only have so much physical space right and if you want to go main and main what is going to set like i could do athleta or i could do lululemon right or i could do ALO, right like why why would i give it to you lulu versus versus athleta you get both have good credit both have a million stores you're both going to get the soccer mom demo that I want. You know, why should I give it to you and not them? Right. It's, it's because of these same retailers that are going to be playing at this level are complete bastards when it comes to exclusives that they ask for. Right. Like yeah, I deal with exclusives from people I, I will mention specifically, but they hammer you on exclusives. So it's like, okay, I will, I will do your better salad or better burger brand, but. I'm giving you Maine and Maine, the only restaurant that I can do here because of venting and power and blah, blah, blah. So I need to squeeze every every bit of juice out of that deal. And if you are doing you know 20% to-go business that is getting filtered through corporate, but, not, but I'm not staying at a store level, back to that anthropology example, like that's a perfect example of, wait a minute, 
that guy came in or that that mom came in, saw your wares on my property, but then went home and ordered it from Anthropology Corporate, and I'm not seeing that on percentage rent. That's that's the argument. And I'm not that's, saying it's right or it's wrong. I represent both sides of that. Table, yeah. But. Hmm. Well, I mean, we, we see deal terms like that in every deal that we do, right? Where it's like, ah, I feel like there's probably a simpler way to do this, but people negotiate for what they want to negotiate for, right? Like to me, I'm just like, why don't you just charge $10 more a foot in rent? But there are some people that are like, no, I want 6% of sales. Yep. And, you know, it, it, stuff like that is, is, is always funny to me. But I mean, you don't realize that until you're doing these higher stakes, main and main negotiations, because then it really gets down into, we've got to dive into in the weeds, interesting man. points. Oh, yeah. The weeds. Well, so that's the fun thing about doing this podcast. I mean, that's something that I learned. I'm sitting here like, God, I can't believe people are negotiating over that kind of stuff. It's really interesting <laughs> to me. But, you know, the the way that we buy, sell, lease, and manage commercial real estate has drastically changed over the last 10 years compared to the 10 years before that. Jesse, I'm going to lob this one over, over to you. You know, since you've gotten into the business, how have things changed? What are you using on a day-to-day basis that you might not have been using before? I mean, how is it changing the way that you work? Yeah, I think we've uh, we've formalized a lot of things that were kind of shooting from the hip maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, you know, moving the simple examples are moving from, you know, Excel management, where we're talking about the actual management of, of clients, management of deals. Uh, I think one point of, you know, whether it's the landlord or the tenant client, I found part of the issue, at least like my my theory is that the slow adoption for a lot of this stuff is the non-continuous nature of our relationships with our clients on the tenant side. So you do 5, 10, 15 year leases. You're not actively side by side with them through every year of their lease. And I found that when you have clients that say have 50 locations, all of a sudden that prop tech, the ability to have technology sharing, smart contract, like the ability for everything to be automated, the is um, it, it's more in need. Um, now, just to answer your question, from when I started to today, I think most of the landlords, especially the larger landlords, you know, we've moved to uh, whether it's VTS or other systems where we're automatically updated on expiries that, you know, you, you don't have some folder that you had uh, that basically it's garbage in, garbage out that, you know, if you didn't catch an expiry date, it, it was just it got lost in the weeds. And that can still happen with with current technology, but you input things properly and and that doesn't happen. Uh, Matterport has become a big component uh, in terms of, you know, taking space, uh, getting pictures of space, having uh, the ability to do 3D renderings. Um, One that we've used quite a bit recently has been, and by recently, the last five years, LoopNet. They've kind of upped the game on some of the ads that they have. And again, the ability to manage and track. um, And that would be more from a marketing standpoint. Uh, So those are just a few um, that that I've seen. Aside from that, you know, again, this gets to the definition. I don't know if this would be considered prop tech, but a lot of the business development that we use now is changed. And a a very quick example of that is Zoom Info has a feature called Websites, S-I-G-H-T. And one of the things is when you create a standalone website for, uh, say, a 50,000 square foot office building, you can give the URL to Zoom Info they embed it in the code and then you see which companies have been visiting that website, how long they've been staying on, you know, which links are they clicking, are they clicking on? So if you have a zoom info account, you know, at the end of the week, you see all the companies and then, you know, their direct contact. So that's just a, just another example. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you heard of Brownie box at all or box? Uh, 
Fox Brown. It's Fox not, Brownie. It, yeah, it sounds familiar. I, I, I definitely heard it. I'm not sure what it is, though. It's really interesting. Let me see if I can screen share this real quick. Proud. This is a, it's a, I don't know, a floor planning service where they will actually take before, they'll take your really terrible before shots and fully render out something that looks like a photo. Like it looks hyper realistic. It looks like the first apartment I lived in after college. <laughs> the, the first one on the left. <laughs> yeah, the before, the before. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's that's where we all lived when we were in fraternities. But man, so like, we, you Yeah, we the, did. Yeah, so I was just going to say, we did something very, I can't remember the company, uh, whether it was Vancouver or Toronto uh, based, but we did, uh, we got this done for a client, something similar to this. It wasn't this company, but she was blown away by looking at her property because it was, you know, furnished and it didn't just look like, you know, a a bad, you know, game from the early 2000s. It looked like it was actual real, real renderings. And it's incredibly cheap too. I mean, you can like yeah. I'm looking at one right now that's a virtual renovation. the The building is torn down to the studs, and the after looks like a photograph of the finished space. And it says that the cost is twenty four to one hundred and seventy six dollars. Like that is incredible wow. marketing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, my team. The, the reason I got into this, of course, I've heard the box brownie advertisements, but um, my team just started using this on some of our more like torn up spaces. And it's really cheap for them to just throw some renderings together. It's 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 really interesting. Nate, I want to jump over to you. I mean, what are you seeing from from your side of the aisle on how you know commercial real estate technology is changing the way we buy, sell, lease, and manage properties? Well, I was gonna I'll, I'll tack on something there with Box Brownie uh, real set real quick here. Yeah. So I remember them winning. So they won the the pitch battle. Uh, NAR does like an annual pitch battle. That was five years ago. Uh, so, really? so where they're at today, yeah. So where they're at today, and I, I think they're even not talked about all that much, uh, depending on I guess who you are. But like, it's come a long way in those five years. But I, I think um, just generally, and we're seeing this with prop tech, it's just slower than what all of us want it to be. But that, I mean, that's a great example of taking things to the next level. As far as what what I'm watching, paying attention to, you know. I unfortunately apply the marketing lens to, to just about everything. Um, and the question that I think about with all prop techs that uh, companies are considering and thinking about is, should I build this? Should I buy this? Or the, the last one is, should I embed this? And, and the embed piece, I think, is particularly interesting because it has a lot to do with difficult to reach customer segments when timing and intent is really important. So for instance, lending. Lending is really difficult to get ahead of. If you don't have the relationship with the person who's looking to do borrowing, how do you know they're trying to make a purchase? And some would say, well, like, well they're browsing Zillow. Okay, that's a cool, but like 100 million of us browse Zillow. There's five and a half million residential real estate transactions on an annual basis. So even if there's 100 million leads, there's not 100 million buyers, right? So then how do you know what what is there? And, and the best way to get in front of that is wherever people are looking to embed. This is actually why Zillow has invested so heavily into lending it makes so much sense to have it embedded directly into the into the platform. So we see this with insurance. Uh, insurance has been doing this and kind of like pressing its way into, and you can make the argument whether or not it's prop tech or not, but it's been pressing its way in. So like all the management platforms, all the deal hunting platforms, you know, even the evaluation platforms where it's like punch in your numbers and see if it works. And then they give you a real-time lending estimate and a real-time insurance estimate. You know, those are two major costs to any transaction, it makes sense to have that embedded. And this is where I think really interesting, you know, tools, whether it's like, 
it's access to data start getting cheaper because you're not paying for the data. You're, you're getting access to platforms. You're getting access to use at no cost. And then there's embedded services. There was a, a company called Blanket that just came out of Stealth, uh, what, two months ago? Uh, so it's a reporting platform designed for property managers so that they can give a, you know, a full report recap landing page and data insights to their owners. And that's an interesting concept. Okay, cool. So we can do that. And it's supposed to be super fast and it connects to a whole bunch of other services and pulls in numbers. But the next step they took for revenue here was, okay, but when owners look to offload a property, which is the leading cause for churn, aside from when a tenant moves out, what if instead of them just taking it to the realtor and put it on the MLS, what if they put it into the blanket marketplace? The management's already in place. And there's other owners within the blanket marketplace that may want to buy that property. So kind of, again, it's like, now this is like even embedding the marketplace directly within the platform for buying and selling rental properties already ready to go instead of, you know, having to start all over and put it in the front and you have to pay, you know, basically you have to work in advertising costs and lead costs and everything else into, into the business. So the embed piece is really interesting to me. It's not really changing the tech, but it's changing the distribution or at least how do I get to uh, the thing. Uh, and ultimately it should lead to better consumer experiences across the board should. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a question that we're going to ask, uh, towards the, the end of the show here. What is the future of commercial real estate brokerage? Cause you know, we can see the writing on the wall with residential, but how much longer will it take for it to hit commercial? We'll talk about that later. Adam, what are you seeing in the retail world when it comes to how things have changed since you first got started? You know, CoStar, I mean, I think this was mentioned a few minutes ago. I mean, CoStar has become like the freaking mafia or the standard oil, um, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it. Has I mean, become we, or they always were? <laughs> I think they have become because we pushed back. I was the biggest pushback ever in my group. But I mean, we're, we, own a, we own a small um, brokerage firm. I mean, it's small compared to the big guys, right? Like it's a, it's a decent small size and a team. Yeah. 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 And I mean, we're, that's maybe our behind support staff. That's probably our second biggest line item in our, in our whole budget, yeah, which yeah. is crazy. Um, so, but good for them, man. I like this is America, get your money. Uh, but yeah, that, that has definitely been an interesting change. Uh, that that I think we've really seen in what past five years, I think, because there were some competitors, at least in Charlotte, there were some competitors, and then they were just mercilessly, you know, just taken out. Over the Who was number two? Who was it, number two out there? Excelligent, Excelligent was Excelligent, going to do it. The, um, there were a few that there were a few that at least in in the retail world, you were able to you were able to get around. Uh, but I mean, that's been. Technology-wise, that's been huge. Um, on other parts of our business, the, the companies that can come in and make your GPLP reporting a lot easier and more beautiful, um, things like Pitch Deck and, and different different companies that will help you come in. And really, to, to your point on Box Brownie, which I'd never seen before, I'm on their website right now. It looks badass. It's amazing. Uh, it's just companies that have come in and, and really – figured out how to outsource things in a really, really interesting way. Uh, companies like Fiverr that'll let you go out and find people that are good at different things like this have, have always been, you know, really interesting in the, for me in the last few years. 
but the biggest one, and I had this, I feel like it's kind of a, a lay down answer, but, but the co-star behemoth has been the biggest change in my business tech wise in the last couple of years. We should, uh, we should talk offline about that. Cause I cut co-star out of my life three years ago and we're doing <laughs> just as much, if not more in volume and don't have any headaches. And man, I, I mean, they, they pissed me off. I mean, I, I, yeah. I had a broker leave in the middle of the pandemic to go back to college. He was, he went back to, to study coding and it was, Oh, I kid you not a week after his annual contract renewed with CoStar. So I emailed them. I, I thought I had a good relationship with them. Like I went to every quarterly market update, like was friendly with everybody in the office, emailed them and told them what happened. And they were like, yeah, sorry, we can't do anything about this. Like you're it's, it's an annual contract. And I just told them, I said, terminate everything that we have with you guys today i'm not logging back into those accounts and uh we've we've had good fellows pretty... if you pay me dude it's they are worse than the national association of realtors like you want to talk <laughs> about mafia i want to see like i want to see a movie about those two gangsters right there um anyway i'm probably gonna get sued by co-star now so this <laughs> this show has been fun uh <laughs> it's been fun hanging with you guys sponsored by co-star <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about AI because I uh, my head is spinning from the amount of AI tools that have come out in the last six months. I want to know what tools you guys are using, what you think uh, could be interesting, but maybe you're not using yet. I mean, I had a brokerage team meeting earlier today and, you know, we're talking about seamless AI and we're talking about Hunter.io and we're talking about uh, you know, Rose AI and all of these different AIs. I'm like, man, I wish that they would just come out with like a commercial real estate AI that would actually do all of this all in once that wasn't owned by JLL. But you know, here we are. Um, so what, what AI tools are you guys using? What's effective? Nate, I'm going to start off with you and then we'll go to Jesse. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a really super simple, maybe stupid example. Um, <laughs> I've got a, I've got an Airtable form on my website for when people want to come on my podcast, you can fill out the form. Airtable? Yeah, I use Airtable for my project management and forms and all that kind of stuff. And But I had set it up to, once a, a lead came in, to have AI write an email and send it from my Gmail. And it's just as simple as a Zapier from Airtable Zapier to send a request to chat GPT, and then it pushes the email over to Gmail and sends the email. I mean, super simple like that. So like the reality is, Every business can be an AI business to some degree. You can have it incorporated. Um, there are some really interesting use cases I'll, I'll point out. And one other thing that uh, I, every single company I've talked to that's doing AI. Uh, so like Scout Realty, they've got some AI tools. Structurally is like they've been building their own AI for years on like cultivating buyer leads because of how long buyer leads can be instead of burning up uh, lender time. They use like AI conversational chat tools to walk people along, but it's really about the inputs. The inputs really matter. Um, Happy Co. I don't think they're billing themselves as a uh, AI company, but I think about a lot because they're doing all like the apartment scans and they have the floor plans of a lot of buildings. That's valuable input. You know, I mentioned smart roof doing roof scans. That's extremely valuable input. Possibly, though, one of the greatest sets of data we have is from a visual perspective that people have access to, if you're technical enough, is Google Maps. There's a lot in lending and insurance and building that requires 
data from on the ground. So for instance, I can't say who and what the scenario is here, but let's say you need to know if a fire hydrant was nearby. Other than user input or being on the ground, you could manually do a search. But what if you need to do this at volume? You can do that using AI. You can actually have AI crawl, look through Google Maps, find and recognize a fire hydrant in the image, and then spit back on how far the proximity is or you know where it's at or, or if it doesn't exist yet at all. Those are really, I think, interesting scenarios. And then that creates scenarios for creating richer and more accurate data sets. The number one thing I hear people pissing out about CoStar is that they don't trust the data. That's, oh, yeah. I mean, and that, this is, I'm not the broker, <laughs> right? But there's an opportunity here to create a better data set as rich, but more accurate. I think it's just going to take some time and some de- deliberate efforts in, in creating that. And obviously it has to have some upside or, you know, monetization value there. Are, are you saying that there is an AI currently that would tell you where all the fire hydrants are that integrates with Google Maps? Or are you just saying, giving that as an example? I'm not saying that there is or isn't. Uh, I'm not saying who <laughs> okay. is or isn't yeah. doing that. But I, what, I, what I'm saying is like you could do that for anything in, yeah. in on the ground. So like City Builder is a phenomenal example of leveraging AI. Um, I think they kind of stay under the radar quite a bit. Uh, so City Builder, uh, they, they, they build out their data sets city by city. And the idea is that they can tell you any combination of any lot within that city, the maximum value and benefit and use of that real estate. And so that you think about like they have to pull in like what's actually in place on the ground, costs of things, permitting processes, et cetera. And so the concept was, is like, hey, if I bought this empty lot and these two duplexes next door and the gas station behind it, and we combined everything with what we know about what's available, what could we possibly build that would be the highest and best use of that property? And there's this considerable amount of AI that's put into put to use there to leverage that data to make that happen. Brian Copley, CEO of that company, I mean, they, they've been they've been working on this for for years, and I've seen the demos over the years. It just keeps getting better. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm looking at their website right now, and it looks like I mean, if you're if you're buying raw land and developing, I don't see why you wouldn't have this tool. I mean, this is really interesting as to what it goes into. Um, in terms of how many units you can build, all the density, everything like that. But going back earlier to the AI you were talking about where you could search for fire hydrants, I mean, yeah. think about how that could impact commercial real estate brokers. I mean, you know, Jesse, you could be looking for for bus stops, right? I mean, you know, how, how close are we to, you know, X amount of bus stops or, you know, transit exits or stations or whatever? I mean, to be able to, you know, and, and same for retail, like, you know, how many pedestrian crosswalks do we have in this area? And I mean- Man, to be able to provide that level of data to your clients would be pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, 100%. Um, Jesse, I'm going to kick it over to you. What are yeah? Uh, so, so first of all, it's it's fascinating to hear the uh, the co-star piece because uh, we we were using Altus uh, for a long time. We eventually got switched over to CoStar, um, and it's kind of a catch twenty two. Like it's the monopoly, but it's the network effects that are supposed to be what makes it useful. That you have all this data. The question of how good the data is. It's definitely gotten a lot better five, 10 years ago or whatever it was. It was very sketchy, uh, at least from our point of view. And and now I think um, it's a lot better. Uh, in terms of the the technology, um, there, you know, we're, we're looking at companies like there's this, uh, this company Clay uh, that uh, it's business development. They'll do um, basically 
when they're doing email uh, outreach for business development, uh, you can use it to enhance emails that you have, put on email campaigns, depending on what your network is searching for, uh, what they respond on the campaigns. So having a like an automated kind of back and forth, I don't think that's particularly new, but back to Zoom Info, and I'm not like doing an ad for them. It's just one that we use fairly often. Um, Nate mentioned intents and they have something called intent uh, signals. So you basically put a, you know, your clients are searching for uh, the term shared office or co-working. Okay. Why would somebody be doing that unless they're actually looking for office space or you use some other heuristic, you know, what follows a search? uh, You know, a lot of people in your company are searching for commercial office furniture. Okay. Well, can we somehow figure out what um, what a search term would be that would mean that in about six to 12 months, they could be renewing a lease? And, you know, we've very like lightly got into that to figure that out. And that, I believe, is kind of your standard scraping of, of the the Internet, you know, whatever they're doing on the back end. But it, but you end up seeing, OK, actually, that that company that's searching this key term actually does have a lease rolling in 10 months. That type of technology we've been playing around with. Um, but yeah, I think right now it's, uh, my partner and I, we try, you know, we're fairly young in our company. We try to get out and, and find new technologies like Nate, I feel like we should have you on the podcast. I'd love to bend your ear on some of these new technologies, but yeah, I think our industry, uh, really needs to make more of an effort. Uh, if, if not to make the consumer experience even better, whether it's landlord or tenant, but just to, you know, give us less brain damage as brokers when we're trying to help clients. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're at the absolute forefront of technology and commercial real estate today. And if you've got a podcast, you've got a YouTube channel, if you're putting information out there, you're already in the top 1%, really, because a lot of that data, you know, a lot of these bigger guys, they hide it behind paywalls, or they only send it to their investors or clients. I mean, if you're the one sharing it, you're, you could very quickly grab market share. Ron Rohde, he's, uh, he's an attorney out of Texas. I've had him on the show before. He says, I'll defend you from CoStar, Tyler. <laughs> Well, you heard it here. I have witnesses. <laughs> I've got an attorney. Uh, take that, co-star. Um, so anyway, it looks like we lost uh, lost Adam, but let's let's dive into uh, virtual reality and augmented reality in commercial real estate. I, I first started hearing about that probably three or four years ago. Um, of course, at a, at a co-star uh, event, they were talking about how you'd be able to, you know, take your phone and look at, you know, buildings around you or something like that and see, you know, what spaces are available within those buildings. I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, Jesse, you mentioned Matterport earlier. I think that that is hands down probably still to this day the best virtual reality uh, tool out there. Nate is probably going to dr- jump in and, and prove me wrong here in a second. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've loved Matterport because they, the camera is smaller than your phone now. It takes you, you know, 10 minutes to just set it up and shoot an entire office space. And now you get these 3D tours that make it very easy for somebody that's out of market to tour the space. Uh, without having to go physically see it just makes life so much easier for relocations and and all sorts of things. Uh, You know, Jesse, what are you, what are you seeing in the VR AR world today? If anything? Yeah. You know what we, I don't know if it was like five or six years ago that we, we had a bunch of people come into our offices showing us different uh, augmented reality. Um, You know, what we found at the time, I can't remember uh, every company, but the technology to buy was so expensive. I don't know if it's the same now for, the actual system, the cameras. Um, so the cost was really high. And then after the last two years, like with the lockdowns in, in the States and Canada, I feel like we've sped up uh, a lot of the um, 
technology that would have happened. And what we realize in a lot of our clients, they don't need, at least in, in the office and industrial world, it's a little different because you're not seeing every inch of a condo, like on the resi side, our floor plates mm-hmm. in a building could be identical for like, you know, from two to seven. And then it's just the pen, you know, the top and the, and the ground level that's different. So what we found is that the virtual tours don't have to be particularly um, high tech, it, you know, having a, a physical walkthrough is usually enough to get the ball rolling at, on the offer or LOI stage. And then at the end of the day, the CO, COOs or CFOs, usually they'll still ha- want to come to the the premises at least once to check it out. So yeah, I, I haven't seen as, that much um, that much of a push over the last little while, to be honest. Yeah, it seemed like it was just, the, you know, I guess it was before AI, like that's the hot new thing. Let's Everybody was talking about AR and VR and then it kind of fell off. Nate, what are you saying? Um, from that perspective, I don't. I don't know that I have a hotter uh, tool <laughs> than Matterport necessarily. I think for when you're yes. doing floor plans, I mean Matterport, yeah, it, it's brilliant in how it works. It's not just. Yeah, it's one thing to have like a 360 degree photo of a room. It's another to like you know do the whole tour and then like build a 3D a floor plan and be able to give people perspective. I think that's you know it's it's so smart. Remember when they came out with the Matterport app? I want to say it was like 2020 you know, that you could put on your phone. They started testing to see people do that. And I think it was a smart move because the the previous of like lugging that giant thing around and having to have like a Matterport expert be the person to come off site just didn't seem, you know, today seems, it just seems antiquated to, to have to yeah. do that. Um, I, I love the idea of uh, augmented reality in real estate. Um, I'm not a Pokemon type person, but when, when, when that Pokemon game game out and people are walking around like zombies with their faces down on their phone trying to hunt and grab them and people still do this apparently my yeah. friends that are a bit of nerds and they and they, and they play that game and they've released like all really generations of pokemon now yeah yeah so like you think about it though like that could that could be really interesting in real estate now i think the challenge here is like valuable to who and for how much right it's a novel experience um but is it is it a business it seems more like entertainment to some degree. Um, I love the the idea. Maybe I'm getting jumping ahead to like the futurism here, but like I love the idea of like ecom working its way into uh, visuals, both uh, AR or VR, um, and being able to like select. So like, if Box Brownie not only puts together my floor plan, but puts together a purchasable floor plan as to like where I actually get the things, and then just does the checkout for me, and they you know essentially drop ship and everything else on the back end of the e-com is API driven. So for the consumer experience, it's just floor plan, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Done. Click buy just shows up, you know, two men in a truck pull up because they're embedded with their mover experience. Right. And they just move it in, you know, that kind of stuff is like, it it obviously is going to start at like the top tier uh, customer base, but how many people are, is that for and how do you drive demand for it? And how do you actually get that to, to, to model out. I think that's the challenging thing it's related to, but maybe I wouldn't put in the category of like AR VR, but like uh, there's a company called onsite IQ. Uh, so uh, they're really for like when you're doing a new build or you're in like the middle of a renovation, you know, you got, you got plumbers working, you got electricians working, maybe some floors are at drywall phase. Some floors are at like more finishes phase. You got a lot of things that you need to check. You're paying people at different stages they have to sign off on contracts to pay their people, right? You want to make sure the work is getting done 
correctly. And so with their tech, they do uh, three 360 video uh, tours, but they're capturing at the different stages. So they're going through on a regular basis, basically as a, a, a video walkthrough and capturing the stage at which everything is currently in the building. So you're getting timestamps and then they're, they're auto-generating your floor plan as they're doing this. So at any point in time during the construction phase, you know, we put that pipe there. We, we roughed it in properly. It's your drywall or it's just covered it up. Well, we can find out really what happened or several years down the line, you need to know what's really behind the walls, not just according to the blueprints, but what's actually behind the walls. You can go back in time and see, okay, where did they put what it was and where is it now that it's all in there? I think that's a really interesting uh, approach to, to, you know, really not even disrupting, but improving how we do construction and, and, and new development. Yeah. I mean, the liability relief that you get out of that, the, the warranty claims that you could potentially avoid just by having that through every single stage of the construction is huge. Going back to the Matterport issue, you know, if you, if you are interested in floor plans, 3D scans of spaces, but you don't want to make a big investment in it, maybe you're not doing it a whole lot, um, or you're just looking at smaller spaces. I've got this app called Polycam on my iPhone and it allows you to just go through and 3D scan all of these. Four, I know it, it's too bright. Sorry. It's a <clears> but it'll, I, okay. Yeah, a little whitewash. But I, I went through. I mean, that's a that's a residential flip that we're looking at doing. And it, it uses the LiDAR on the back of your iPhone to scan the floor plan and, and map out uh, the dimensions. Now, it gets pretty close. I would say it's a greater than 90% um, if, you know, efficacy rate on that. Uh, but it gets you close enough, right? I mean, we've we've used that for for a couple of clients that didn't want to pay for shooting floor plans, but we were like, well, we need something to work off of that's not hand drawn. So, we, I mean, we just go in there with our iPhones and and shoot it, uh, and it it's it works pretty great. Um, Polyscan, uh, Polycam. Oh, Polycam. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Polycam. Um, I don't know if that'll show up. It's not going to. We are whitewashed. Polycam. No, yeah, I see it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's talk about the future of commercial real estate brokerage because I think that you know, look, Redfin and Zillow, the writing is on the wall for residential real estate agents, and you know, it's it's been a long time coming. I think that the the irony of the the potential downfall of residential brokerages, aside from NAR lobbying and doing everything they can to keep residential agents in place is that residential agents have been paying and funding their own demise. Zillow has had residential agents pay, having, you know, paying to be, you know, top people that are being recommended on their website. Meanwhile, Zillow's just here collecting all the data, figure out every way they can to just cut the middleman out and go straight to the source. They've had a couple of screw ups, which we saw pretty big in 2020 and 2021. But that doesn't mean that they're not fixing those problems and getting closer to getting it right. I think in the next five to 10 years, you're, we're going to see a huge upset in the residential real estate market. Now, there's some differences there, right? Residential is very much mathematical based on physical characteristics of the property, right? You look at the specific location. You look at the building size. Is it three beds, two baths? Here's 700 other houses within that zip code that have sold, and that, this is probably the price point. Commercial real estate gets a little more nuanced. I mean, Jesse, I'll kick this over to you first. What are your thoughts on the future of commercial real estate brokerage? Can we be technologyed out? So 
I, my gut reaction is the the commercial real estate industry is informationally challenged, and it's, it has been for a long time, and I, I think it continues to be. Uh, you know, the average person on the street trying to figure out what is available, you know, in a downtown or suburban market. There's, you know, there's a couple big places that you could go, but unless you have access or, like you said, you pay for very expensive subscription services. Now, that in theory, you could say can be it's solvable, a solvable issue. I think. So the future of of brokerage, I think, will will follow somewhat of the path of residential when it comes to the adoption of technology. However, I think the the commercial broker, I think their place is going to be a little different in that you can, I think, phase not phase out, but real, residential real estate agents, really good ones, are very good at advising their clients. Now, there's no exact replica of a deal, but buying a house and another house transaction, you get about you know a hundred different transactions for buying and selling homes, they they kind of average to a, a somewhat similar standard transaction. When it comes to commercial, it's very different. I, you know, I've been doing this now for nine, 10 years, and I still don't have one offer to lease for, you know, industrial, commercial, retail space. That was the same as another one. There was a, you know, a right of first refusal that was negotiated. And now I, I be the first person to say, you can figure out that technology. But I think the broker as an advisor, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon because of the complexity of these transactions and that it's not just like writing a legal contract that we just throw this boilerplate in. It's very specific to the specific type of deal and the client that you have. But, you know, I could be, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, that's my bias as an agent. Um, but yeah, I just feel like there's a, it's not exactly uh, apples to apples. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's my thoughts too. But again, I've got that brokerage background. So I look at it and I'm like, I mean, I feel like there's always going to be a place for a commercial real estate broker. If nothing else, it's putting the relationships together, which is what brokering really means at the heart of it anyway. Nate, what, what's your take? On the on the commercial space, I mean, I, I, I would generally defer to you guys on, especially from a broker perspective. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've not served in that role on a commercial uh capacity i did once as a residential agent have the the gall to try and do a commercial deal um you can guess how that one went but (laughs) (laughs) but you know i I, i'm continually um optimistic about improving the consumer experience that's ultimately where i always look to um you know on the professional side uh, I think it's cool. There's there's a lot of money to be made there. There's a lot of services, a lot of SaaS, right? We can look at B2B SaaS. We can cut it up and apply it to any industry. And, and real estate's no different. You know, we, PropTech isn't leading the way on like necessarily how we conduct business. We're looking at B2B SaaS. We're taking it, contextualizing it, and then reskinning things and, and making it directly applicable to real estate. Now, the challenge here becomes, we kind of touched on a little bit, data. Uh, the challenges become work streams. You know, the who has to know what and when is really difficult in real estate. This is what keeps a lot of people from getting that unicorn valuation as fast as they said they were going to. Because just because it worked in B2B SaaS doesn't mean it can go the same speed as real estate. Real estate has a whole bunch of governors along the path in every transaction. And whether it's a, a storage deal, whether it's new retail, whether it's multifamily, there's governors in those deals. And if it requires multiple players to use a certain tech, well, that's going to slow adoption. It's going to slow adoption dr- dramatically. So I think it's always going to be a little bit slower, longer game in commercial real estate. There's no one forcing you all to to play by the same rules. 
There's a million different ways to do things. And every deal, like you said, like it, it can be better going a different route. It doesn't have to be skinned the same way. That being said, I'm interested and in, in fascinated by, you know, some of the competitors or companies that are popping up. I mean, I think you mentioned LoopNet earlier. Craxy has been growing quite a bit. I think their, their clip of growth rate has been pretty impressive. Really, I think the first to totally challenge CoStar in the way that they're challenging them. Uh, they're actually reinvesting. I don't know what LoopNet is reinvesting into. It looks the same as since the first day I ever discovered it. But, but you know, Crexy, you know, they're Not working on a mobile app and, you know, all this kind of the jazz. Um, you know, there's even just like how you manage data in listings. Landsearch.com uh, is a really great example. Um, Michael Lagaber was on my show and we talked. I mean, that's a bootstrapped business right there. Uh, and they have some of the, best distribution getting to people for finding land and listing land. And I think as they keep building out their product offering, it's going to be a pretty considerable or, or serious competitor in the market. And then uh, one that stands out to me, and I, I'm kind of just, you know, I think that there's a long way to go here, but, you know, being flexible in space, right? Flexible terms. Um, you know, it, it's not just people that are moving around and need flexible terms. I think businesses also need a little bit more. Tying down a large office or retail or even warehouse space can, it's a lot to commit to. And anything more than a year, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like a really long time to commit towards anything. And uh, there's a there's a company called Chunker that uh, they set out to be the Airbnb of warehouse space. You know, and really they're just kind of helping people who have larger spaces. I think that's the initial pre- preference of the business uh, or the idea was, hey, you have a large space. You're not using three quarters of it. Let us offer that to companies on a short-term basis if they needed to. So you think of like someone wants to set up a distribution for seasonal reasons, or they want to try out a new market and they want to have products local to the area, Um, you know, and how they've been able to productize short-term commercial leases in warehouses is pretty interesting to think about. So I think if they can, you know, and they've been seeing success with that. So I think if those are examples of like, Hey, there's, there's, there's progress being made here. I think that some of those things will impact other businesses, how they partner with brokerages or work with brokers, uh, I think yet to be seen. Um, but uh, I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's okay that commercial real estate moves a little bit slower. I think it's okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Well, we've got a whole bunch to dive into now. I mean, you've you've rattled off like 17 more websites I'm going to have to dig into and check out. I'm, I'm scrolling on landsearch.com. I'm like, yep, there's the 100-acre farm I wanted. <laughs> this is great. Well, Nate, thanks for, thanks for joining us with literally less than 60 seconds of notice. This was awesome. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, we, should, we should look at getting you back on the show more often. If you're op- open to it, we could talk about this offline doing a little prop tech update once a month or uh, quarterly, Let's something like that. Be, I think it'd be really interesting. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you joined us live, if you're listening on the podcast, we will be back live on October 24th, talking about building and growing your commercial real estate brokerage business, diving into the systems around everything that we had to put together uh, to make sure that we could scale uh, what we're doing here. Appreciate you guys joining us. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.